0: Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We talk college hoops and we talk some other stuff usually too, but it's always a lot of fun. Joined by my man Chris Dorch of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. And Chris, we got some uh, great guests coming up today, including Texas coach Chris Beard and also Ole Miss coach and uh, longtime friend of the show, Kermit Davis. Both will uh, join us here for our podcast today. How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I haven't been as well-traveled as you. You have made the rounds as radio voice of not only Vanderbilt basketball, but now doing baseball. I know you really love baseball. You're a big Reds fan,
0: right? I, I am, yes. There, there's not always a lot to celebrate in terms of uh, big big wins for the Reds, <laughs> but uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm too far invested now to, to switch to a different team. Now, the, the, the club you root for, the St. Louis Cardinals, they, they, have, they win a lot more than uh, – the other team in red in the uh, national league central division but uh, yeah that's been my team forever and it's been it's been a blast uh, going around the league and uh, seeing some different places and really spending some more time in some of the the cities around the league and getting a little more of a feel of the the flavor of those towns it's been cool this year i guess the uh, the transfer portal continues to be the uh the main topic of discussion in this offseason for college basketball. And, you, boy, every day it seems like you get uh, another piece or two of transfer news. A guy who'd been the top-ranked transfer, Remy Martin, uh, goes from Arizona State to Kansas. He averaged 19 points, around four assists, each of the last two seasons for the Sun Devils. That's a pretty big pickup for Bill Self's program.
1: It really is. I I mean, when you consider that the NBA is always going to, Uh, riddle Kansas's program and a bunch of guys always getting the portal one way or the other. This, this was a great acquisition. I mean, it really came out of the blue for me. And I, I, I I follow the portal pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I had assumed that Martin was, was going to take a crack at, at the NBA, but I also follow the draft and I hadn't been seeing his name turn up in, in mock drafts. So I figured he thought maybe a year at a, at a program like Kansas. And you know, he'll fit right in at point guard from day one. He gets to the rim a lot. He shoots a ton of free throws, better than average three-point shooter. And like you said, 19 points, four assists last year. So uh, it's kind of surprising that he left Arizona State, but they had some guys skip out in the portal too. And, yeah. and Bill Self is always happy to take a good transfer.
0: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Kansas, they, they don't – you know, rebuild as much as they do reload if they if they need to add some players and uh, look, look, looks like an an excellent pickup for uh, that program. Other news: uh, Severe Wheeler will uh, now play for Kentucky. Uh, joking, I was joking. He'll be driving to the left in Lexington. You know that that's yeah. <laughs> Tim Thompson and I joked about that a lot on the uh, when Vanderbilt played Georgia. Just uh, you know h- how he likes to take the basketball, but you know for John Calipari who who has done a pretty big rebuild on his roster and coaching staff and everything else uh that that seems like a good pickup for that program
1: it it does and it kind of surprised me last week that you know they had lost nolan hickman a point guard they had signed in november he he was in a in a prep school and during the pandemic and he got homesick i think he was in utah so he wanted to be closer to home guess where he ends up gonzaga Hmm. Uh, he's from spokane or, or seattle one of those uh So severe Wheeler kind of surprised me because in Nolan Hickman's place, Kentucky recruited Ty Ty Washington, who had decommitted from, from Creighton. He's a five-star point guard. So they've got him and now they're sitting here with a guy that led the SEC and was fifth in the nation in assists. Uh, He's an exciting little guy to watch. Not perfect. You know, obviously he's, he's small. He shot 25, 22% from three last year and, He made a a, a ton of turnovers. He averaged 4.4. That'll drive Cal nuts. So uh, he might have to uh, tame his act a little bit. But I'll tell you, with with Washington and Wheeler, uh, what was a hole two weeks ago is is a strength for Kentucky now. And I I wrote this the other day. I I think Kentucky fans can can jump back off the bridges and the (laughs) rooftops they were going to leap off of. The program is back. Uh, and they're not done. Uh, there, there's some other guys in the, in the portal. Uh, Abdul Adu from Mississippi state got in the portal. Mm. That surprised me because, you know, he really loved it down there and, and he and coach Holland got along and, uh, you know, I guess he decided he didn't want to take a crack at the NBA and maybe wants to see a, another part of the world. And there are several programs that could use a rim protector rebounder like a deuce. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky, maybe Texas, maybe even Tennessee, because uh, he went to high school in, in Chattanooga, uh, maybe try to get involved with him uh, just to have another rim protector. You cannot have too many rim protectors. No. This was what Rick Barnes told me after last year. Uh, <laughs> obviously, they had E. Pons, but mm-hmm. he's more of a weak side kind of guy that, that can run you down or come from the weak side and block. They didn't have anybody that could just stand there and intimidate. Uh, and and that's a big, kind of
0: what Adu does, doesn't he? I mean, he's kind of that big body. Does. Big body and, just and takes he, up space. He
1: boards too, and yeah. he'd gotten to be a better shooter. I'm surprised he left, but you know, again, uh, transfers. Mississippi State got Garrison Brooks from from uh, North Carolina and DJ Jeffries from Memphis, so their front line is is okay. So I guess Abdul uh, Adu says uh, Adu. <laughs> I had to do that. Sorry. Oh man
0: when, when uh, George starts speaking French on our show that that's what a uh, that's what it really takes goes to a different level
1: <laughs> so well I do do
0: right yeah I do yeah uh, au revoir to our, our discussion about the transfer portal uh, unless you have some more uh, anything else that's really stood out to you about the what's going on just in the last couple of weeks since we did our last show
1: well you know the we, we had talked about rule changes and then at the time, the rule committee was meeting mm-hmm. and since our last show that they made some recommendations and you know, you and I have talked about them. I think flopping as a technical, you can probably book that, uh, and experimenting with, with six falls in the NIT uh, is going to happen. Uh, I'm still not sure what I think about six files or, or how they would implement that. But, uh, I don't know. What do you think, man?
0: Um, I, I like flopping as a technical. I think way too much of that stuff goes on. I hate p- seeing players get cheap offensive fouls because some dude barely got touched and hit the deck, and they blow the whistle. Um, Agree. I, I again, I just think too much of that cheap stuff gets called. So I, I'd be okay with flopping as a technical. You know, there there is the gray area because that's so much of a judgment call to try to decide. You know, whether it was a flop or whether it was legit. Um, yeah. As far as the six fouls, I, I go back and forth on that. Um, it's funny. I I asked, um, I asked a coach and it's been a few years ago. I I asked a couple coaches about that. I said, Hey, do you think, you think six fouls would lead to, to better play and keeping star players in the game? Or would it just lead to more fouls? And the answer I got was basically, it would just lead to more fouls. So if that's going to be the case, then I don't know if I like it or not. The thing I always hate is you start a game, you're all fired up about watching these great players play and immediately, somebody gets two quick fouls maybe they get a cheap one or maybe you know maybe they get called call where somebody flops so they get two fouls five minutes into the game that guy's out for the rest of the first half and you don't see him again until after halftime you know maybe if you had that extra foul it, it would change that they're, they're talking about all these hybrid plans where you know some of it resets after halftime or you, you get three in each half or you know however they're going to do it and um I want to talk about playing quarters like every other really everybody except for men's basketball these days plays quarters where you, you get five fouls per quarter and then it's two shots after the fifth foul and there's no such thing as one and one that part to me I don't like because I think the one and one especially in late in the game where there's that pressure to make that first free throw yeah to me that's a big part of college basketball and, and a part that I really like and, and think you know makes the game unique and special uh, I would not like to see that go away um, the, also talking about technology on the benches. You know, coaches having access to you know stats and replays and video—I don't see anything at all wrong with that. I mean, this in, this is 2021. I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, it, it was interesting to kind of see uh, what what the proposed rule changes were and the direction they took with them. You know, when they did all that a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah, now in June they're going to vote to decide which ones will be implemented or experimented with. I, you know, going back to the flop, I think maybe if if they make a flopping a technical foul maybe it would eliminate the need for six fouls because yeah. some of those cheap ones that you talked about could go away but you're right it is a judgment call and i i'm never one to criticize the officials unless it's just a, a blatant blown call because their job is tough i mean it's bang bang and snap decisions and you add another snap decision like a yeah. like a flop and you, you, you know, if, if you, if you had ESP and could read people's minds, maybe it would make it easier, but they don't. And so you never know the intention mm-hmm. uh, of the flop. So, but I do think that a, a technical file for a flop may eliminate cheap ones. And if that happens, maybe we don't need six files. I am like you, I, I think six files would really, uh, I, I think there could be some melees with six files. Yeah. Think about it now. A four man post rotation with six files each, that's 24 <laughs> files if I'm doing have my, my yeah. tables uh, correctly. <laughs> my ciphering, like Jethro Bodine used to say. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's a lot of files, dude.
0: Let me throw one more at you. I, I saw this suggested somewhere, and, and I, I can't give credit to, uh, to whoever it was because I don't remember who, who suggested this. But in, instead of calling a moving screen a foul, make it a violation, it's like you know that's actually a pretty good idea, where yeah. you, you know if somebody sticks their hip out and a guy runs into him and they call him for you know an illegal screen, then it's just a violation. The other team just gets the ball and doesn't count as a foul. What do you think about
1: that, dude? I love that. That's honestly the uh, I hate to say the first time I've heard it. You'd think I'd heard of that before now, but I, I like that. I really do because moving screen is another one of those bang bang calls mm-hmm. uh, and. and you know, they call it a foul because it's supposedly intentional. But I think most moving screens are accidental. You know, a, a big kind of still clumsy freshman uh, kind of, kind of you know, isn't sure how to plan his feet or doesn't get to a spot in, in time. And, and, and they, they call a foul for it. So I like that idea a lot.
0: Well, Chris, our first guest of the day has arrived. He is uh, Texas coach Chris Beard after an extremely successful run at Texas Tech, joining us now on our podcast. Coach, how you doing? Good. Thank you.
1: Coach, congrats on the job. I, th- I think it was the best hire of the offseason. Um, it's amazing if you look at your record, wherever you've been as a head coach, you've been able to immediately – transform the situation I think at Little Rock you had a 17 win improvement over the year before you got there what is it about your philosophy and your culture allows you to make that quick transition like that
2: I mean above all it's just been really good players um, you know to me college basketball is about players um, not coaches uh, you know, I'll, I'll work extremely hard this year. I'll try to have the best year I've ever had as a coach, but the reality is I'll, I won't score a basket or get one rebound. So, um, with that in mind, we've always understood that. I think the the other thing that, um, you know, that we're proud of, we're not, we're not apologizing for it's us is, you know, we've never seen, um, these jobs in terms of like building things. You know, I think there's always two philosophies. There's the coach that says, Hey, um, You know, let's build it uh, year two, year three. And then there's the guy that comes in that has the urgency and says, you know, that's not the way I see things. Let's win our very first game. And that's where I've always been. I think a lot of it comes back to my background in small college basketball, junior college basketball. Our our rosters always change from year to year. So I never had the mindset that we were going to try to build something. We have a plan. It's a day-to-day plan. We have a vision for the future, uh, but nothing trumps our day-to-day plan. I was just going to ask you about
1: that. Uh, Steve Forbes is a buddy of mine. And as you probably know, everybody knows him. He, he has an extensive JUCO background. His theory is is that D1 coaches who started out in JUCO just have that ability to kind of put a program together quickly. Do you kind of go along with that?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Forbes and I came up in kind of the same generation, uh, same kind of time frame in basketball. Have a lot of respect for Steve, and always have, um, you know, some other guys. You know, Chris Jans has done a great job as a Division One head coach, and was, uh, you know, the best junior college coach at his time. So, I think, um, you know, guys that have uh, come up that way, we've all worn different hats, we've all had experiences in different parts of running a program. I think it prepares you uh, when you get your Division One opportunity. So I would agree with Forbes on that. I I don't agree with Forbes on everything, uh, but on that I would. Coach, uh, the other thing that
1: that you can't help but notice uh, about what you've done at Texas so far is the way you've worked the portal. I think you brought in some great additions, and you just seem to be able to have in, in every D1 program you've run is to find guys that fit. You don't take a transfer just to take them. You just seem to find guys that fit what you need. Talk about this class that you put together so far.
2: Yeah, that word you mentioned, fit, that's exactly right. That that word, uh, you know, I think opportunity, fit, and urgency are the three words that we've probably used the most in the last uh, five weeks, I guess going on six now. Um, You know, fits everything. It's just like the goal is not to sign – you know, just, uh, you know, 10 five-star players. To me, the the goal is to to get things that fit. Um, And we've always understood that, done a pretty good job of it. I I would argue the coaching staff's the same thing. You know, for us, the first thing we did here is put together the staff. We obviously have some really, really talented guys, um, but equally important of their experience and talent is the way we all fit together. It's a no-ego group that's really pulling for each other. Uh, Team, no different. You know, for us, as we've, in the process of building the Texas roster, year one roster right now. You know, it starts with the returners. Uh, we've been blessed, at, uh, you know, four or five of these guys have jumped on board. A lot of respect and appreciation for Shaka and what he built here. And we're definitely uh, inheriting a situation that's on solid ground. And it's our hope and our goal to kind of build on it. But Shaka leaves us a nice foundation. We're appreciative of his time at Texas. Um, then when we got out in recruiting, we were f- trying to find pieces that fit with that foundation that we have coming back and we're really proud that we've done that. Obviously the portal has changed college basketball. Um, My deal is I don't have a lot of time to sit around and worry about it. I don't make the rules. I just figure out how to win within the rules and I think we're off to a pretty good start. Our
0: guest is Texas coach Chris Beard. Uh, you know, one, one of the guys that's uh, arriving at your place, I mean, back in his home state. I saw him play a lot here at Vanderbilt as Dylan Dessou. He's really, tra- really talented guy, and you know, hoping his knee will be good to go. Uh, how can his rebounding and really his improved uh, shooting from the outside be a benefit to your program?
2: Yeah, we're obviously excited uh, to get Dylan. We we thought that Dylan was uh, the best, if not one of the best players in the portal in terms of just his uh, his body of work. Uh, What he did at Vanderbilt was real. We got a lot of respect for their program. So one of the things that we've always done with transfer recruiting and now we're doing in the portal is it's going to sound kind of Captain Obvious, but I've always Mm -hmm. wondered why more people don't do this. But, you know, you kind of look at where the kid's been in the past. Has he been coached? How's he played? And certainly with Dylan, his resume just popped off the the screen. Um, He had a great experience at Vanderbilt on the court. Um, So we really looked to build upon that. But that was a big part in our recruiting was recognizing and appreciating the success he'd already had. Um, I view him as a positionalist type player. I think obviously with his rebounding numbers and his ability to protect the rim, uh, people try to kind of put him in that box of forward or what, but I I don't see him that way. I think he's a guy that we saw play all the way since he was back in high school, playing Texas high school basketball and Texas grassroots basketball. Um, So we're excited to coach him um, and, and hopefully open up his game a little bit where, people see him as a talented kind of positionless player is our goal.
0: The the 2019 Final Four seems like it was about 10 years ago. But, you know, looking back for you personally, how much of a career changer was that for you, getting to the title game and and coming so close two years back with Tech?
2: You know, if anything, uh, it just kind of fuels the hunger to get back. Uh, That was always the goal. You know, I've spent my whole, uh, really my whole life, certainly my whole adult life, um, going to the Final Fours and, Uh, being at those practices and and, um, visualizing what it would be like one day when we made it, it was never a matter of if, it was just a matter of when or I always uh, faced the reality of maybe running out of time, but not making it wasn't something that we really talked about. We just talked about when we make it. So um, I've watched a lot of those Monday night games in person and had the pleasure of coaching in one of them. And that's ultimately the goal of Texas. Uh, if you had to, to kind of get, get the whole deal down to one sentence, why we're here, what the plan is, you know, we, we want to play in as many Monday night games as we can. It's, sure. um, it's pretty easy to talk about, especially in May here on a Zoom. Really, <laughs> really, really, really difficult to do. Um, but anything in life is difficult uh, that's worthwhile, and that's what we're working tirelessly at right now, trying to put a team together that we can compete. Uh, for us, certainly it starts at the Big 12. If you compete for this league title – then you certainly have the kind of roster and makeup that can make a run in March Madness.
0: One well, more for me. Uh, you know, Texas had so many outstanding players over the years. you got an NBA great in Kevin Durant. How much can those guys be a resource for you and your program?
2: Well, it's everything to us. That's our plan, and we're not um, making it a secret. Um, you know, We said this the, the minute we arrive back in Austin and we say it as many times a day as we can. Our whole, our whole focus here is to unite what I'm calling the Texas basketball family. Um, certainly, in my lifetime, whether that was whether you played for Abe Lemons uh, or, or Bob Wetlick or Tom Penders or Rick Barnes or Shaka Smart or most recently uh, to us, it's trying to get everybody back. Certainly, guys like KD and LaMarcus—they've um, been nothing but great since we took the job. We've had a chance to text those guys, talk to them a few times. Looking forward to seeing them. Um, you know, as their perspective seasons end, hopefully later than sooner. Um, but our former players not only first bout Hall of Famers like KD, but also guys that played in any, every generation. We're trying to get all those guys back under one umbrella. When we do that, you know, I think the power of Texas basketball is undeniable. I mean, it's a real machine. It's a real weapon when we get everybody united. Um, nobody has studied the history of, of Texas athletics like I have. I had the pleasure the other day to, uh, go, to go to have some early morning coffee with, with Bill Little, who's a Texas icon, uh, legend, and just hearing the story again, um, you know about Texas football. Um, you know where, where Mac Brown said it himself best, uh, and he got this from Coach. Uh, was that you know the, the fan base kind of like a a box of BBs, right? And if you can get all those BBs together and turn it into a shotgun, the power of Texas is powerful. And that's what we're in the process now of doing, uh, just like Coach Royal told Coach Mac. We we're, we're trying to um, you know to get all those BBs of the Texas basketball family back in the box where we can become a force again.
1: Chris, one last one for me before we let you go. Uh, can you talk about your time with Coach Knight? That was such an advanced degree. You probably got your PhD in coaching. Talk about the influence he's had on your career.
2: Well, it was a game changer, no doubt. Um, and whenever I talk about Coach Knight, I, I also talk about Pat in the same breath. You know, I had um, – just, just the opportunity to work with both of those guys uh, for, for many years was really, you know, one of, if not the the break in my career. You know, I, I'm a big believer that opportunity uh, knocks for every one of us, no matter what we choose to do in this life. It's just up to, up to each of us to hear the opportunity um, and open the door. And certainly when I had the chance to work with Coach Knight and Pat, it was something that didn't take me long to consider. You know, I think I was in my car heading to see Coach uh, – you know, 30 seconds after the invitation was uh, mm-hmm. presented to me. So learned so much from Coach. Um, I think at the top of the list was just the idea of preparation. Um, coach said this many times, and every time he said it, I would kind of perk up and listen. Uh, I never had to take a note on this one because it was just ingrained in my mind. But, you know, Coach would always say that there's nobody out there that doesn't want to win. You know, there's no coach, no player, no manager, no graduate assistant, no red shirt. Uh, maybe no no administrator that just doesn't want to win, uh, but what separates the elite from from the third and fourth place guys is who wants to prepare to win, yeah. you know who wants who wants to talk about that. So I think with us and, and again today we've already had a coaches meeting this morning here in Austin and, and, and the theme was you know preparing to win. You know we're, we're looking at some of our upcoming official visits and preparing to win those weekends. We're looking at some of our early June praxis coming up, already planning those. But I think at the top of the list of things I learned from Coach Knight and Pat, it was this idea of preparing to win.
0: Chris, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it this morning, and all the best to you as you get going there at Texas.
2: Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Coach. Have a good day.
0: That was Texas coach Chris Beard back in Austin and uh, getting things rolling with that Texas program. And sounds like that coaching staff just has great chemistry and uh, off to a good start and certainly off to a good start in terms of the, uh, the transfer portal and some of the guys they've been able to pick up, Timmy Allen and Christian Bishop. We talked a little about Dylan DeSue as well. So uh, putting together a pretty nice roster there with some guys coming back. And uh, I know he's pretty excited about uh, wearing the burn orange in uh, Austin, Texas.
1: Yeah, that's his alma mater. And to me, it was a no-brainer hire of of the offseason, maybe one of the best hires in in the offseason in the last decade. He's just a go-getter. They like to have fun, but they work hard. And the staff, he's he's put together two former head coaches, uh, guys that he knows, Chris Ogden, uh, with whom he played uh, at Texas, and actually left Rick Barnstaff at Tennessee to join him at Texas Tech before he got a head coaching job and he left a head coaching job at UT Arlington to be on the Texas staff again with his buddy, Chris Beard. So it's a great staff. They're organized, they're prepared. And I think they'll do a tremendous job at Texas. And he's right. Texas and Rick Barnes has proved it. Uh, and Rick Barnes still chases this. He told me this, he wants to play on Monday night. Yeah, And that's their goal at Texas too. And I don't doubt they'll get there. I, re- I really, I really think it's a great hire. And and they're off off to a great start.
0: Yeah, I've thought for years that that was a program that could win big if you just had the the right person and and the right staff and, and because they've had tons yeah. of great players, but they just never have you know they they made a final four run back. Uh, it's probably been more than fifteen years ago, but uh, you, you look for, look forward to get back again. Yeah, hey, I would have thought shock would have been a huge success out. there.
1: In you know, in in doing some exit interviews with some of his former assistants, they just ultimately although shock I thought it was a a great fit and a great place to be it, it turned out that maybe it wasn't such a great fit and yeah. maybe they had to recruit some players uh, just because they were at Texas that maybe didn't fit you know five-star guys and so forth and everybody I talked to thinks that he'll he'll be himself again once he gets yeah. to Marquette there's no football there and it's in a basketball centric league and he'll be able to recruit guys with chips on their shoulder and I think he'll be back to his old self.
0: Chris, we're joined now by Ole Miss coach Kermit Davis. Uh, of course, we've known him for years uh, during his time here at Middle Tennessee State, uh, around the Mid-State, but uh, great to have Kermit with us. How are you doing this morning?
3: Doing great, Kevin. Good to be with you guys.
1: Uh, coach, uh, I've even known you before, Middle Tennessee, when you were down at LSU, so it's been a while. So, some years got behind us in a hurry, didn't it? Didn't
3: take long there, Chris. It it, I, think this is my, I think this is my 39th in oh,
1: college man.
3: basketball, so it'll it, it'll go quick. I was talking to my dad about that the other day. It's amazing how how time flies. Uh, last year,
1: obviously, we're knock on wood, we're getting maybe to the other side of this pandemic. How nuts was it for you? I know you actually got the the virus, didn't you? How crazy was it to run a program and with everybody all
3: your players and support personnel it must have been nuts yeah you know you, you your hats off everybody said it to to your players you know how hard they played and how well they tried to prepare hats off to our trainers and medical staffs all across the country and i've said it before i mean really commissioner sankey kind of saved college athletics by getting football going when everybody didn't want to do it and and he did it in a safe manner and so it's great that we just we got a season in but Yeah. I mean, uh, we're rocking along, doing really good. Loved our team. And November 17th, I've got, I got diagnosed with COVID and we tried to practice for a couple more days without me. And then the whole team, it just went through a bunch of our guys. So we shut down. So I mean, we didn't do, I wasn't with the team from November 17th to December 7th. That's a long time during that period of time, trying to get your team right practice three days and just started playing. And so we beat some teams we were supposed to Chris and, and but but some of those really tough games, we lost some early. And then you know what? We kind of just stayed COVID free after that, maybe for one except for one player, and then our team got its footing and started playing great down the stretch. And you know what? A couple other teams got it and struggled. So uh it was it was an interesting year, but we all learned a lot from it.
1: Well, I appreciate uh your advice. You were one of the people I, I reached out to when I was deciding whether to publish Blue Ribbon and you said, Chris ain't no way the SEC is not going to play football and basketball. (laughs) I I said, well, if Kermit says that, I'm taking it to the bank. uh, I appreciate that. Uh, We've talked about this before, but you've always had a knack for whether it be JUCO or D1, finding the right transfer and being able to quickly uh, integrate them into your lineup and build a winning program. There's got to be a, an art to that you can't just take guys can you
3: no you can't and and we're not always perfect you know i i kind of always have enjoyed having guys that they're kind of in their last end of their stretch in college and they got to make it work number one now if they don't love basketball sometimes they don't care if it just works but if they think that basketball is their ticket and they got to make it work and you get them at the very end i'm telling you i mean like laron dindy Jacory Williams, Nick King. And the the secret is, is having talent, but, but guys that, you know, it may not be roses and cream early, but you coach them direct for a long period of time. And finally they, they buy in or give in and just say, okay, this is what I'm doing. And, uh, and then those guys can really have some great, great careers late in their career. And you've, you've had another great portal year. Can you talk about the
1: transfers that you brought in along with the, some good freshmen too.
3: Yeah, you know we, you know uh, Ty Fagan from Georgia, and uh, and that's that's the one thing that's hard, and you've just seen it the last couple of days. You know a lot of guys within our league are transferring within the league, yeah. and that's going to keep happening, Chris. And that that's not what we all really enjoy. But but Ty Fagan, we signed him at middle, uh, played great. Average sixteen a game against us in two games this year. Uh, six four lefty uh, wing guard can play the point too. Uh, Jamin Breakfield from Duke, who we love, uh, you know, six, eight and a half, really skilled. We finished kind of second to Duke in the process. And uh, so we think he can be an immediate impact. And then Nasir Brooks, uh, seven-foot center, started about all the games at Miami. I think he's got great upside, about 240 pounds, runs uh, long. And then, you know, Deshaun Ruffin, who's a McDonald All-American. He started in the Allen Iverson game with the top 25 players and had 15 – can really really play. He's young, but it's going to be a really really uh, good player. And then uh, we have uh, Eric Vander and six eight and a half, kid from Raleigh, good player. James White, first team all league, and then uh, Grant Slatten, who led the state of Tennessee in scoring, six six. So uh, we we like our team, and uh, yeah. But the transfer portal is going to be uh, interesting over the next few years to navigate.
0: Our guest is Kermit Davis, the uh, Ole Miss head basketball coach. And I-, I saw David Kellum when I was down at uh, Oxford this past weekend doing baseball, and we were talking about your-, your 1-3-1 defense. And I did the two games you guys played against Vanderbilt, uh, and Jerry Stackhouse at- said after those are- were done that he hoped they didn't see uh, Ole Miss in the tournament. But uh, did did you find that, that you got that defense to-, to work more like you wanted it to uh, as the season went along this past year?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think that obviously – You know, we have to be very active at the top uh, of the zone and it was the best it's been since we've been at Ole Miss. We've had some good spots for it. You know, our defense man-to-man wasn't what we needed it to be, uh, Kevin. And, and so really we played the most zone of anybody in our league and really our one, three, one back to this two, three zone was probably for power fives, the most effective zone defense or top two in college basketball by points per possession. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that that really allowed us – it got us competitive and, and just helped us win games, much like it did at, at Middle Tennessee when we kind of played, you know, up a level in competition.
0: Yeah. How hard is it, though, to, to defend those corners, especially when you, you stretch it way out and, and play it closer to midcourt like you like to do?
3: Yeah. You know, it's just uh, – it, it's some risk to it, for sure. But you're trying to maybe get people to take shots – that really aren't out of normal offense mm-hmm. but sometimes that rhythm of just being able to do it you know we looked at it and and we we did give up some some corner threes but but not as many as you would think you know and one thing you know if you're a man-to-man coach and you go zone and all of a sudden they hit a couple of threes you get out of it well you can play man-to-man <laughs> all game and they can make six out of nine but you guys you gotta do this better you gotta do that better <laughs> we've learned to have some patience with the zone and stay with it and stay with it and the biggest thing is just disrupting rhythm And there's such you know, some really, really good offensive coaches in our league and and obviously good offensive players. So so it's helped us. But you're going to give up a few things. And sometimes, Kevin, you, you think this defense is going to work, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't. A team will just kind of pick it apart. And then sometimes you can go back with the second half and it hits them just right. So it's just great for us just to have kind of in our back pocket all the time.
0: One of the things we wanted to ask you about uh, were rule changes. You know, uh, flopping could be a technical experimenting with six fouls in the NIT. uh, You know, allowing for technology to be used on the bench, maybe some changes in timeouts and a shot clock display. Also, which ones of those do you like, and which ones do you you kind of have some questions about?
3: You know, uh, I don't know the flopping thing. It's you know, there you saw some of the you know the get up and and to do the flop. I I I guess that's good. It, It doesn't make a I don't know. I guess I have a really big opinion on that one. I'm for the six fouls. You know, I like that. I I don't want the game to get slowed up, Yeah. you know, but, but, but I do, I like the resetting the fouls, you know, to five, you know I mean? I'm for quarters. I I like the quarters in basketball because I enjoy watching the women with the quarters and the fouls reset. So I, I would be for that, you know, but, but I think everybody wants to watch the best players play and let them, you know, determine the outcome of the game. And so I, I'm a proponent of, of six fouls. Coach, uh, it's amazing how
1: if you look in the recruiting rankings, you know, eight to ten SEC teams are in the top 25 to 30. Uh, ESPN and CBS rank uh, transfer class rankings. Again, the SEC uh, is is in all those highly ranked. Uh, the league's going to be – I mean, it's been tough since you've been back in it,
3: but, man, it it seems like it's going to be loaded. I think it's – I mean, I I don't say this because I coach in it, and I didn't think we were the best league last year, but I think we'll be the best league in college basketball this year based on players coming back, uh, the transfer portal, high school guys where everybody's recruited. Uh, Just last year, just seemed like the SEC, they had six teams and nobody else could get any traction, you know, for some reason. I don't know what it was. It was just – Like, we couldn't really get traction nationally. They gave, like, if the Big Ten, if there were some upsets in the Big Ten, all they'd talk about, God, how balanced the league is. And then all of a sudden, we've talked about it. I mean, Kansas goes to Tennessee and gets beat 20. Florida goes to West Virginia and wins. And then two nights later, we beat Tennessee. South Carolina goes to Florida, and nothing was said about it. You know, that happened in the Big Ten oh, boy, the league is unbelievable top to bottom. Look at Rutgers can go there and win. And, you know, so I just I don't know. Maybe I always think the analogy is when Kentucky's down, people nasty don't give our league credit. They just don't. And, uh, you know, and so I think obviously Kentucky will be much improved this year. And I hope we're league that now we're looking at getting nine or ten teams in.
0: One more before we let you go. Looking at your, your background there, you have the pavilion behind you, and I, I kind of took a lap around and, and checked it out from the outside. Uh, looking forward to seeing some, some games there maybe down the road. But, you know, how, how do you think having that building has is, is really changed maybe in some ways how your program is perceived, uh, you know, maybe in a different way?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, this pavilion is uh, it's an unbelievable facility, and I really mean it. Uh, it's in the top five or six in college basketball. It's not the biggest, but you know what? Ole Miss doesn't need the biggest. It's a little under 10,000. But premium seating is set up just like the NBA, Kevin. I mean, three different sets Mm -hmm. of, you know, where your boosters are right there. and It's all the amenities. Uh, The students sit right on the floor. 1,300 of the best seats. Uh, It is, it's just a fabulous place to come watch a game. Uh, And I think you're seeing football and basketball arenas being built just like this. Very seldom do you build a thing and you go like, gosh, I think they really got it all right. There's not – you know, you can mm-hmm. look at different things. Yeah. Wish we'd have done that. They really didn't miss a trick. They got it all right. And so we bring a kid into this place right here. I mean, it's as good as anywhere in college basketball. And our atmosphere is great. So, yep, yeah, it's, a, it's a game changer for Ole Miss for sure.
0: Well, Cameron, we'll let you roll. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Great to catch up with you. And uh, hopefully see you again down the road.
3: All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Share Chris. Time.
0: That was Ole Miss coach Kermit Davis joining us here on our podcast. And uh, Chris, uh, I mentioned I just got back from Oxford. I was down there for baseball. I did Vanderbilt series Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, just a, a you know a really pretty little college town. I'd never spent a whole lot of time there. I've been in and out for football a few times, but got to really be there for a few days and walk around the campus and walk around the town. It, it's really a neat spot.
1: It really is. I, I went to uh, went to Oxford two years ago. Drove down. Um, and I just kind of wanted to leisurely stroll down there and uh, stumbled upon Elvis's boyhood home and just did a hard right turn on that exit and checked it out. It was awesome. And then, of course, the city itself is a grand old southern town. I always loved the food and square books. And uh, I was in a hotel, a brand-new hotel. Back in the old days, they just had, like, one holiday in, but yeah. there's a, a new I forget the name of it. It seemed like it had a library decor of some sort, uh, but it, it was awesome. And it's right in the middle of town, right off the square. So, yeah, uh, Kermit's got a lot to recruit to there. And I, I, think, I think he was the right coach for the right time for that program.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, I'm like you. I, I saw a lot of cool stuff. I, I went down to the Grove, which, of course, is maybe the world's most famous tailgating spot. And it's like, where is everybody? You, know, you see all these you know, scenes from football weekends where the, the place is just jam-packed with tents and people and everything else. I put down a tent. Vanderbilt's going to be there in November to play football, so you know, maybe it'll still be there when I, when I get back.
1: <laughs> What's <laughs> but, their uh, baseball stadium like? I've never been there.
0: Uh, Swayze Field, and it, it was packed they they're over there was about 10,000 for every game or close to it anyway. Uh I, I thought they had great fans. So you know, uh, for for our team lost two out of three. The, the games didn't always go our way, but the experience of it was super cool. You know, having done all these games where they haven't been very many fans. It, it, you you could have told me there were 30,000 there and and it would have felt that way, but uh it, <laughs> I was telling Kermit before we went on they had the world's best radio booth for baseball it was right outside where the hospitality area was so and, and they told us to help ourselves anything we wanted to eat so uh, uh we, we certainly did we took them up on that they had uh you know each day they'd have different things to eat uh, hamburgers and chicken and and uh they had bratwurst one day so uh and then, and then they had a whole freezer full of ice cream that was just around the corner from our radio booth so uh
1: didn't it, get any
0: of that. It, it worked out well it was a uh, we we were well fed that was for sure but uh fun it's experience so awesome to go down there
1: it's crazy how big uh, baseball is in the SEC. I remember one year covering a game in Mississippi State. And this wasn't long after Mississippi State and Richard Williams went to the Final Four. There was a baseball game. This was in February. There was a baseball game going on the same time as the basketball game. And it far outdrew the basketball. Oh, So uh, yeah, it- that kind of opened my eyes. But, you know, if you look all around the league, you know this better than me, starting with Vanderbilt and, uh, it's just a, a powerful baseball
0: league. Yeah, it really is. And uh, we've been some cool places this year. Went to the new ballpark at Florida. Went to, to Alec Box Stadium at LSU, which is a great venue. Uh, went to Tennessee. It was cranked up over there. They're having a great season. Uh, went to Missouri. I'm trying to think what was maybe the other one we went to, but you know the the one you mentioned, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State both have great facilities. Mississippi State basically rebuilt their stadium uh, a few years back, and it's probably as nice as anything in college baseball so yeah wow. the uh the ba- we we talk about the basketball and the sec a lot the baseball in this league is excellent too so yeah it was a, a fun weekend to experience oxford i wish we could have won a, another game or two but th- that was that was okay uh chris uh, always fun to do the podcast with you and uh of course we will catch up soon uh keeping an eye on the transfer portal and everything else so uh always great man
1: all right look forward to it buddy
0: He's Chris Dorch.
3: I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We will talk to you next time.